takes a minimum of 343 feet to hit this ball over that fence for a home run. That doesn't just happen accidentally. In fact, a lot of things are working directly against a batter's ability to do that. Like the pitcher, or the ball itself, the opposing team's fans, the entire environment. But beyond all that, one of the biggest factors is the player or the batter himself. What the batter does matters. It takes proper positioning, form, and timing, and the right contact to send a ball over the outfield wall. It doesn't just happen by chance. The same is true in life. A home run life doesn't just happen. It comes by knowing how it works, by knowing our part and God's part. And just like a player can do something that causes them to miss and strike out, we can do things that cause us to miss. Like whenever we compromise in the area of character. When we do that, we don't even get on base. But fortunately, there's a way for us to avoid striking out. Living a home run life starts by winning with God, connecting with Him at home plate. It then leads to winning within, and that's an issue of personal character. Well, hello, Heritage. Welcome to week three of Home Run Life, where we're leveraging the sport of baseball to understand God's game plan for life, his pattern for how we live and win in a home run life. I want to welcome all of you. Shout out to QC West, Bettendorf, those here at Rock Island, those joining us online. If you're a guest with us, thanks for joining us. Glad you're here. We're a people who never want to take ourselves too seriously, so we're having fun in this series, but we always want to take the things of God seriously. And with that in mind, I want to take a few moments just to review the first couple weeks of our journey. We know that God has a pattern by which he seeks to grow us. It's a pattern that's different than the world. And if we don't understand the difference between the world's pattern and God's pattern, we will struggle in this life. We will be frustrated because we won't understand why our investments don't work out, why relationships are so hard, and what in the world God is doing in our own lives will struggle to make sense of what he's doing. And in that journey, we can end up thinking that the life he's promised us, the life to the full that he says we can have, isn't attainable. But it really is. But there's a pattern, and it's his pattern. It was the Apostle Paul, church planter and missionary, who in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, said this. He said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There is a pattern by which we can live and then know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's a simple pattern. It, just, it involves four growth gates. Or for our purposes, four bases. Four bases that we need to win in to live a home run life. There's an order to them. You can't skip any and you can't go out of order, can't change the order. There is a pattern that God seeks to use and it's represented in these four bases. And they, it, that home run life begins and ends at home plate. It begins and ends with connecting with God. It's where we win dependence on Him. And this base is the base of power. It's the base of what? 
power. This is where we receive his power through relationship with him through Jesus Christ. It's power, it's purpose, and it's from here that we are enabled to live in dependence on him and move to that first base reality of character where we can win within. This first base reality is, a, is the personal base. This is where we're dealing with issues of integrity. And, and we can only win there through the power of God at work in us. But when we do, we can proceed on to second base. And second base is the people base. It's the what? People base. It's where we win with others. It's relationship with others in a way where we're loving and serving them and not just using them. When we win with others, then we can proceed to the third base reality of competence. This is where we win results. And we're really talking about performance here. It's performance. But that's not the end. We don't stop there. We continue down around until we connect again with God. Connecting, depending on him and his power and his purpose. That's God's pattern for a home run life. And the reality is that many of us step up to the plate hoping to hit a home run in our marriages, in our families, in our careers. But many of us don't. In fact, many of us never even get on base because we don't understand how God seeks to grow us and the pattern he wants to use to lead us to live life to the full. When we don't understand that, we can struggle to make sense of life and how we fit in to his purposes in life. We strike out. We never get on base. We get called out. You know, last week, God moved very powerfully across our heritage family as roughly 2,000 people stepped in that next step of obedience, that next step of their spiritual journey to depend more fully on God. And I am deeply humbled by how God moved and what he's doing even now. And if you made a decision last week, I want you to know that I have been praying for you this week specifically, that God would continue to mark you by his power and his purpose, by his presence. And if you've missed that part of the journey with the Heritage family, I encourage you to go to heritageqc.com and under the media tab, you can see what you missed. But last week what we did was not an end. It was a beginning. It was a starting point, not a destination. When we step up to the plate and we get a hit, it sends us on a journey around the bases. So we get a hit at home plate, what base do we go to next? First base. We go to first base. And first base is the character base. And we're going to spend the majority of our time today talking about the realities of first base. Because if we don't win here, we don't go there. We've got to win here. When we win here, then we're able to go to second base. And at second base is that whole relational people thing and where we can win with others. And man, it can be hard to relate to people. But listen, second base is scoring position. In Major League Baseball, until you get to second base, you're not in scoring position. But once you get to second base, you're in scoring position. But far too many people look at third base as the place to be. Like, it's, this is the only place I got to go. I got to go here right away. I got to get results. I got I to gotta perform. I have to do something in order to be something. But my friends, that's the pattern of the world. That's not God's pattern. And when we place results and performance at the forefront like that, then we cheat the more important areas of life. Others, ourselves, and God. We may even want to take the bases and kind of 
mix it up and change places, moving different parts and places along the way. But the reality is there is a pattern and it starts at home plate. And even if we say, okay, God, I trust you and I believe in you and I'm going to choose you and I'm going to help, I want you to help me win in character battles, we can be at first base and go, how about we cut out the other's part? Because that gets messy sometimes. How about it just be you and me, God, and I'm going to go from first to third. And so with you working in me, we're going to get some stuff done in this world and poof, for your glory, we're good to go. But listen, success without someone is always empty. And God's pattern involves all of the bases in the right order. We'll never get there or there until we win here at first base in the area of character. And that only comes by his power. You see, living a home run life requires winning in areas of character. It requires us to win in areas of character. Now, we've been using uh, the life of the Old Testament figure, Joseph, to help us understand God's pattern. And last week, we left him um, at a point where he'd been thrown in a pit, sold into slavery by his brothers, and, they, and those brothers told his dad that he was dead. And in a few brief moments, Joseph is stripped of everything he can depend on except God, and he finds himself on his way to Egypt in slavery. And what we're going to see today from his life is a simple truth that we all need to understand, and that's that the greatest battles are within us, not around us. That the greatest battles are within us, not around us. You see, in Genesis chapter 37, where we first find the story of Joseph, God was teaching Joseph to win dependence, home plate. But when we step into Genesis 39, which is where his story continues, we find God is teaching Joseph to win within. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 39 or a device, you can click to it. If you don't, that's okay. I want to read a section to you, and, and you can just sit back and relax. It's not in your guide. I'm not going to show it to you on the screen, but I want to read a portion of Genesis 39 to, to frame his journey, because we learn in this passage that Joseph is sold to a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar was a high-ranking military leader in Egypt. But in the midst of this time, because Joseph continued to depend on God, God showed favor to him. He blessed the things that Joseph was doing, and he blessed the house of Potiphar, and Potiphar recognized that, so he put Joseph in charge of everything. Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything but the food he ate, because Joseph was in charge. But the deal was, the next growth gate was coming for Joseph. The next test was coming, and that's what I want to read about. Verse 6, starting in verse 6 in chapter 39 of Genesis. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. But one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. 
Now let's just pause for a moment and understand the reality of what was going on for Joseph. Joseph was a guy in his late teens, early 20s. And so he had very real desires and very real raging hormones. So this was a real temptation for him. And consider this. He's, he's far away from home. He has no accountability. But he ran. And I think many of us long to do the same thing. To be able to say no day after day after day. To resist temptation. But we often find that kind of strength and victory to be elusive. That we try and we fail. We try and we fail. We say we're not going to do that thing again, but then we end up doing it anyway. It's the kind of thing that Paul talks about five chapters ahead of the verse where he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In Romans 7, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I do not want to do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then he goes on to say, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It does to this guy. Makes complete sense. Been there, done that. Listen, the greatest battles are within us, not around us. There's a proverb that I think helps shed some light on this. And I, I put this in your notes. It's at the top of the page two in your sermon notes guide. It's Proverbs 14, 12. I'd like us to read this together. So if you grab your sermon notes guide, let's read Proverbs 14, 12 together. It'll be on the screen as well. Here we go. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that seems right, but it's not. Another translation says this verse this way. There's a way of life that looks harmless enough. But look again. It leads straight to hell. Sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will end in heartbreak. There is a way that seems right, but is not. And you don't have to live very long in this world to understand that. To have real temptation and to have chosen poorly and realize that it wasn't the way. See, what we do in first base battles determines if we can get into scoring position. Until we win within, we'll never win with others. Instead, we'll use them for our own gain. There was an, a circumstance in a baseball game not long ago. It was a game between the Cubs and the Brewers. And one of the players was on first, and he stole second base. But then he tried to steal third base and ended up back at first base. Kind of hard to imagine. Let me show it to you. Check this out. Segura goes. Pitches outside, throw to second, not in time. Segura with a stolen base. Oh, what a nice throw by Castillo. And Greg walks him. First and second with nobody out. Cubs are set up to turn a double play 
And Segura takes off, and he is going to be picked off. And Braun able to get to second base, but Segura is out. Wait a minute. He tagged Segura. Segura left the bag. <laughs> Segura's going to well, first. You can't swap places. Oh, absolutely cannot. Well, they were both at second base, and the guy that originally had second base yep. is going to be safe. Now, Braun's out. Now, Segura's at first base. He can keep going backwards, can he? <laughs> I mean, Braun's eliminated from the play at that point. Right. And the old saying is you can't steal first. You can't go backwards. I think he just did. The problem the, the Cubs had is they should have tagged Braun. He would have been out. Segura left the bag, tagged Segura right away. He would have been out. Check it out. Right here. So tag, tag. Now, now they're both out anyway yeah, right there. Right. He put the tag he on He put the tag on him the second time. He should be out. Absolutely. Because he did the right thing. Segura's got to run here. And he goes. And he goes. And the throw to second. <laughs> and he's out. So the first time he tried to steal second, he was safe. The second time he's out. One of the craziest base running innings. Oh, man. One of the strangest plays ever. There is a pattern to running the bases. You can't go back past the next runner. You can't share a base. He was out. He didn't even know it. Man, look, what strikes me most about that ridiculous, silly thing is that Segura got so focused on himself that it cost his teammate. It, it impacted his teammate and it impacted the game. What could have been two players in scoring position turned out to be two outs. And as silly as that whole play was, I think we have a tendency to do the same thing. Because how we move from base to base doesn't just affect us, it affects others. It, it isn't just about us, it's about others. And we don't follow the rules, it costs everyone. So let's step back to Joseph. How, how could Joseph win that battle at first base? How could he stand in the character battle and choose to run? I mean, it's, it's simple. He won dependence on God. He won dependence at home plate. And he was able to say no to a desperate housewife and no to his own desires because he understood the question. He understood the issue. It was not an issue about getting caught or natural desires or satisfaction or pleasure. He understood it was, this was an issue about whose pattern would define him and whether he would be out or not. See, when we follow a pattern or a way that seems right, but it's not, we end up using others to get what we want for our own gain. We'll, we'll do that with success. We'll do that with money. We'll do it with sex. We'll do it with avoiding blame. We'll sell others out to preserve ourselves. We'll run back to second base to preserve ourselves, even though it means somebody else is out. And then we'll lie, we'll, we'll gossip, and when we do, we're out. And we don't even know it. The reality is that under pressure, our character is revealed. Or as Oswald Chambers put it, 
He said, crises always reveal character. Crises always reveal character. That's true in baseball, and it's true in life. For Joseph, his his crisis revealed his character. And although he had a very real physical battle, he had to fight off Potiphar's wife, Joseph's greatest battle was within him, not around him. It was the character battle. What happens around us creates circumstances or crises that put our character to the test. And we all know what it means to be tempted. To be tempted to lie. Tempted to cheat. Tempted to look. Tempted to take or to talk. We all know what it feels like to be tempted. But in those moments, we all have a choice. And that choice is answering a key question. The key question we are answering in any character battle is who is first? The question we're answering in any character battle is who is first? Not who's on first, just to be clear. Not who's on first, but who is first? Who has priority? Who or what has priority? Is it the the way that seems right of the world? Is it others and people so we end up living as a people pleaser? Is it ourself where we end up living as self-indulgent, selfish people, just slaves to our appetites? Or is it the way of God, his pattern, his purposes out of his power? Who is first? The key question is who we make first in our lives. He reminds me of the story of two guys who were out fishing on a quiet little lake that had a road running right beside it. And they were out there for about an hour when a funeral procession started to come by on the road. When as that hearse reached the nearest point of the boat to the road, the one fisherman stood up and he took off his hat, he placed it over his heart and he bowed his head in reverent silence. It was such a moving moment, his partner just welled up with tears. His fishing companion just was amazed at what happened. And as that hearse continued down the road, that the fisherman put his hat back on, sat back down, and began to prepare to throw out his line again. But it was such a powerful moment that his buddy turned to him and said, Harry, Harry, I've never seen such a, a more beautiful expression of reverence uh, to someone who has passed. And Harry just looked up at him and he said, well, it was the least I could do. I was married to her for 40 years. Uh, it's not true. It was a joke. It's okay. Look, every day we set priorities. Every day we decide who's going to be first. And we don't always get it right. You with me? We don't always get it right. The key question is who we place first in our life. Look, Jesus was asked this question, uh, a question of priorities. The question was geared around what's the greatest commandment. And and Jesus responded in Luke uh, 10, verse 27. He responded by saying this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So in, in that brief moment, Jesus lays out the pattern by which God seeks to grow us. It, it relates to the home run life, but how? So here, let me show you how this relates. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind works out this way. That when we love God first, when we love him with our heart, with our soul, with our strength, and with our mind, then we can love others as we love ourselves. 
When we love him, we're able to win dependence that allows us to win the character battles at first base, to allow us to then win with others where we're not using them, we're actually loving and serving them. And then we can continue on around to the results that the Lord seeks to bring out of our lives for his glory. It's just that simple. We win within and we win with others when we win dependence on him, we love him. Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Who is first determines how we handle every other base. And it determines if we run successfully or get thrown out. Now, there are a number of examples of of character battles in, in the scriptures. And a lot of them are in the Old Testament. Some wins and some losses. And one of the most tragic losses in the Old Testament, the area of character battle, comes in the life of King David. David was a guy who loved God. Scripture says he had a whole heart for God. He was the guy who killed Goliath as a, as a young man. He, he fought many battles for Israel and for God with great victories. But the greatest battles that David faced were within him, not around him. You see, David became one of the kings of Israel, the second king over united Israel. And as king, he faced a first base battle that turned his life upside down. He had an affair with another man's wife. Got her pregnant. Then he tried to cover his tracks. When that didn't work, he had her husband killed. It was a mess, total mess. In one way, David went straight to third base. He, he went to results. He went to sex, saw a beautiful woman, wanted to have her. He blew up his life from here. When he realized what he did, he tried to backtrack to second base to get it to work out, but that didn't work either, so he eliminated the others involved, had Uriah, her husband, killed, only to realize that what he actually did was he blew up his life at first base. As many times as David depended on God, trusted in him, God's strength was made revealed through him in victory upon victory, in one moment David blew up his life in the area of character because he relied on himself instead of God. He did not run like Joseph did. Look, we all know what it's like to lose in a first base character battle. We've all been there. It may be something small that nobody knows about in your life. Or it could be something big that nobody knows about. Or something big that everybody knows about. The reality is we all know what it feels like to lose a first base character battle. And it stinks. We end up wrestling with regret and shame. David did. In fact, David goes on to write a psalm to God out of that wrestling, out of his sin. That psalm is Psalm 51. It's a great psalm. There's a lot of deep insights into repentance, and I believe it's a psalm that you and I can literally pray as we work through our own failures at first base in, in, in areas of character. But there's one line that stands out for me from the rest of Psalm 51. And it, it, it reveals to me that David, as he's writing this, now understood first base realities in a new way. So here's how. After acknowledging his sin and asking mercy from God, he says this in verse 4 of Psalm 51. He says, against you, you only have I sinned 
and done what was evil in your sight. You see it? He's talking to God. And he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. My friends, when we sin, when we fail at first base, we sin against God. Sin is first and foremost against God. Not ourselves, not our loved one, not the other person. Those people are affected, but sin is against God. It is first and foremost against Him because of what His holiness deserves, because of who He is, which is why when we lose a character battle at first base, we've got to go back to home plate. We've got to go back to home plate. And David was going back to home plate with Psalm 51 because he understood that the power to win first base battles comes from home plate. The power to win first base battles comes from home plate. Let's take this back to the life of Joseph for a moment. How did Joseph win at first base? We don't have to guess at this. He stated it in his conversation with Potiphar's wife. As brief as it was, he declares where he is able to get victory in this. I want to show it to you. This is Genesis 39, verse 9. He said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? Not Potiphar? Against who? Against God. Because sin is first and foremost against God. Who did Joseph put first in his life? God. Who was he not going to sin against? God. This is a question of do you love the thing more than him? Do you love the habit more than him? Do you love that other person more than him or not? That's the heart of the issue when it comes to first base character battles. Sin is first and foremost against God. Every sin is against God. But the beauty of it is every victory is through him. It doesn't matter how many times you and I fail at first base. Victory is found through his power, through him. Every sin is against him. Every victory is through him. The power to win first base battles comes from home plate. And it allows us to get to second base. It allows us to move into scoring position. And the truth is, man, each of us have vulnerabilities. We have one or two or maybe even three areas of character issue that we all have. Places that have the capacity, things that have the capacity to take us out before we ever get to first base. How many of you know that's true for you? Wait, 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 don't answer that. Too, per- too personal? Okay, how many of you know that's true for your neighbor, the person sitting next to you? Okay, a lot more hands. Hey, hey, don't answer that one. Hey, listen, we all have them. We all have places of vulnerability. We all have places that if we're not careful, will take us out. If we try to rely on our own strength, we won't make it. And let let me just be honest for a few moments. Let me invite you into my life. You see, I grew up in a pastor's home. And I made a decision for Jesus at an early age. And that's set and defined a trajectory for me in my life that has lasted for years. But, But the reality is that in my journey, there have been a few things that have had the capacity to take me out, to get me thrown out on my way to first base. And each one has been rooted in misplaced value that has shown up in insecurity. 
It's shown up in insecurity. This is a picture of me in 1979. Let me show it to you. That's me in the background. That's my brother Jim down front and our dog Princess. 1979. You can clearly see I'm dressed like the baseball great Willie Stargell, looking very dapper. That was the full extent of my baseball career. Olin Mills photography at Sears. <laughs> and that was it. But look, listen, even at that age, I started to struggle with insecurity. It led me to perform to disprove what I thought of myself. And I drifted into unhealthy perfectionism. I equated my performance to my value. So what that did, here I am in the middle of my insecurities, I'm equating my performance to my value. I made it equal. And what I ended up doing was creating a life cycle that I was living in this kind of first and third base reality, trying to manage people and to use God. So what, would, what that would mean is that I would disengage from people out of my insecurity or to keep them from, from seeing my vulnerabilities and present this perfection piece to them. I would disengage or I would engage them on my terms. So I would win with others, but I would also lose with others because I would serve them on occasion, but then I would use them. In that paradigm, I would win and lose at first base. Because I was dividing my dependence between me and God, I would win and lose at first base. I would say no, and I would say no, and I would say no, but then I would say yes. And what ended up happening is that I created this pattern in my life that was not the pattern of God where I'm trying to manage and control my life in a way where I could do something that would lead to me becoming something. What added to that confusion was the fact that I lived in the home of a pastor in that fishbowl, which is a tough place for a kid to grow up, especially one struggling with insecurity. And I just want to say this, pray for the kids of our pastors. Pray for them. If I was going to take out a pastor, I'd do it by going through their family. If I was the enemy, that's how I would do it. Our pastors need prayer and our, their kids need prayer. In fact, I have gone from just praying for our team to praying for their kids as well. And I encourage you to do the same thing. But in my journey, I was dealing with that fishbowl. And what God started to do was to teach me how to win in my identity with him that allowed me to run and win in areas of character that allowed me to then love people and not just use them and to lead the results he wanted to see for his glory. That was the nature of my journey, my struggle to understand how God's pattern should be working versus how I'm trying to live it. And there were two specific things that happened in my life to help do that. When I was 15 years of age, my mom and brother and I were away at my grandparents, and my dad was at a funeral out of state, and our house burned. It was a brick house, faulty wiring, started in the middle. It uh, just smoldered and continued to burn until it shot out of the roof. And we lost every possession we had for us as a family. And it was at that point that God started to teach me how to look at possessions and the things of the world differently. But then he also took me as a resentful kid, a kid who was resentful to the church, and showed me how the church can actually be a people who truly love, who come alongside, who represent Jesus, who are the hands and feet of Jesus, and he started to deconstruct my understanding of how the world worked. A couple years later, I went to college, 
And, and part of that freshman orientation, I went on a two-week wilderness program where we backpacked and rock climbed and canoed, just the extreme minimalist outdoor stuff. I loved it. But during that time, through prayer and fasting and solitude, God started to teach me about who I was and who he was. And I went from looking at God as the figurehead of the church and the God of my parents to understanding that he was my God and that he loved me and that he had a purpose and plan for me. Those are just two things that God used to begin to deconstruct my understanding of how to live life. He's used a lot of other things because I'm a slow learner, hard-headed at times. But those two things started that process in very significant ways because I needed to learn dependence on him. And if we don't learn dependence on him, we will fill a place created for him by everything else, by the world, by others, by ourselves. And look, we can become our own God. And, and we don't have the power to grow character, which is why we find ourselves in a pattern of doing what we don't want to do and not doing what we want to do. We all have to choose. We all have to choose who is first. God was first in Joseph's life. Joseph chose to put God first. Joseph chose to place his identity in God. And Joseph chose to take the faith of his forefathers, the faith of his dad, Jacob, and to make it his own. A personal faith. A real faith. And I believe that Joseph, on that day with Potiphar's wife, was running towards something just as much as he was running away from something. I believe he was running towards God first. Making God first. You know, in the end of that process, <laughs> Joseph isn't rewarded by Potiphar for that. He's sent to prison for it because she lies, said he tried to rape her, and he's sent to prison. And for Joseph, having done the right thing, he ends up in prison. But the deal is, God was not yet done teaching Joseph. He was moving Joseph to win in the next growth gate at second base, learning to win with others. And there are things in our lives that don't feel right, that feel wrong, that feel unfair, but the reality is, it's highly likely God is trying to teach us in those moments to depend on him more fully, to win within and ultimately to win with others as we win results for him. So what? What do we do? Well, we must win character battles if we hope to win in life. That's just a fact. And I wonder where you are most at risk in the areas of character today. I, I wonder what do you need to run from? Or maybe a better question is, who is first in your life? Who is first? The power to win first base battles comes from home plate. It comes from relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the place to start. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you're spiritually unresolved, the place to start is giving your life to him so that you can win dependence on God as a new creature in him. Until you do that, character battles will always be a struggle. Until, until we depend on him, we will always struggle in this area of life. But we don't have to. We can win with Jesus. In fact, in chapter 12, Rome, at Romans chapter 12, Paul said, do not conform. In chapter 7, he said that piece about I do, I do what I don't want to do. But in chapter 6, this is what he said. He said, for I know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. power to conquer first base battles, the power to win within is God's power in us. It's not us. Disconnected from him, we will be enslaved to appetite. 
we'll be enslaved to fear, to desire. We will drift back into those old habits and we will struggle and we'll get thrown out. But no matter how many times you have done that, God loves you and I enough that through Jesus Christ we can be forgiven, restored, made whole when we come back to home plate and then continue in dependence on Him, we can win those first base battles through His power. You know, much of what, what happens to us in life is beyond our control. People do stuff to us. People do things around us. But in the places we get to choose, there's a couple of places we get to choose that we get to decide. And those places are who will be first and what we do in the character battle. We get to decide there. And I believe that God is offering all of us an opportunity to grow His way, an opportunity to depend on Him. Because I think there are places He wants to take us that only He can take us. But it's as we depend on Him and as we win within out of our dependence on Him. How we handle first base battles determines if we ever make it to second base. We're going to end our time by stepping into a moment of communion. Communion is the time where we step out of life and routine and, and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus came and lived and died so that, and rose again so that we can have life. That through his broken body and his shed blood, the failures at first base can be washed away and we can be made whole, restored in relationship to God. So we do a couple things as a church in this sacrament. We acknowledge that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And it's through the bread and the cup that we proclaim what he has done, that we profess faith in him and our dependence on him, and we acknowledge the new life that we have in him. So if you are someone who has given your life to Jesus, I invite you today to take part in this. If you've not yet made that decision, just sit back and have a conversation with God. The deal is you can have a conversation right now where you step into relationship with God and you can step into this. But this is for those who have made a profession of faith in Jesus and in acknowledging that profession, we take the bread and the cup. If you make that decision today, awesome, step into this, be part of this. But if not, just sit back, talk with God, and watch this process of us as we worship in gratitude, in thanks, in remembrance. But there's a piece to this that ties into first base pretty well. When Paul wrote about that Last Supper experience, he talked about the need for us to examine ourselves before we take the bread and the cup. And I want to invite all of us, before we take the bread and the cup, to do just that. To examine our lives, examine first base realities in our life and have a conversation with God. Not so we can justify it, not so we can explain it away, but so that we can confess it. So we can say, Lord, I have failed here. I, I have not won within in this area. It's an opportunity to acknowledge those things, not so we can clean ourselves up to come before him, but we can just offer ourselves just as we are and say, Lord, I need, to, I need you. I can't win at first base without you. So as we step into this moment, and I'm going to pray, and, and then leaders at each of our campuses are going to give instructions for how we go through communion today. But when I'm done praying, I ask that you continue in conversation with the Lord about first base realities in your life, examining yourself, and then out of that time of confession, repentance, cleansing, take the bread and the cup in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people. Lord, thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection, and through that we can have life. We can have victory over struggles and sins and first base realities. That through him we can, by your power, live consistently in victory over those things. And we can continue around the bases and live the kind of life you want us to live. So Father, I pray as we spend a few moments taking the bread and the cup, I ask that you would speak, that you would show us and illuminate to to us areas of our lives that you want to refine and purify, areas of character that need to be transformed by you. And may we have the courage to allow you to do it. So Father, as each of my friends talk with you, may you speak. May you lead them to places where you purify and you are glorified as we remember through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that makes us whole. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.